Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and for the last time, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now, I hope that's not the last time you turn to 1 Corinthians, but this will be the last in our study in the book of Corinthians as we finish our journey through this book. As we have started at verse 1, and now we are finishing at verse 16, verse 24. So our text this morning will be verses 19 to 23. I mean 24, sorry. 19 to 24. Listen as you hear the word of God. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The greeting is in my... this. The greeting is in my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed, Maranatha. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. There ends the reading of God's inerrant word. Join with me in prayer this morning as before we go through our text this morning. Again, Heavenly Father, we look at your word and we ask you to enlighten that for us. And so we ask for the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit, that he would be our teacher, that he would illuminate the truths that are here, and that we would learn from him. And we know apart from his teaching that we are, this is a, a futile exercise. And so, Lord, take your word and use it as you see fit in our lives. I pray that you would prepare our hearts to hear and to respond. Grant us obedience and repentance where we need to. And may we see again your Holy Spirit working in us that you would conform us as a body more to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ, I pray in your name. Amen. Well, we've been slowly inching our way through chapter 16. And maybe surprisingly, we've spent more time in what would seem to be the odds and ends at the, at the end of this book than we would think. And yet we've been finding some riches here as we have been going through. And we saw last week as we began through the last section that, that Paul is now really giving some itineraries and some greetings and some blessings. And he is, he is finishing up the book, but at the same time, we saw that he, as he finished in verse 14, that all things be done in love. There are some things that if, some principles that we draw from this section that, if, that will express love in the community if we will do them. And so we saw last week as we began through this text in verse 15 that we were first of all called to follow those who were spirit, more spiritual than us in the body. In other words, we were called to follow those who were more spiritual, those who are farther along than the faith, and to submit ourselves to them. And the idea was there was the word hubotasso, which means to place oneself under. And again, it is a recognition, this term is always placing yourself under the authority that you are called to place yourself under. So children, that doesn't mean that your parents submit to you because there, there's no call in Scripture ever for them to align them underneath your authority. But we as believers are called to place ourselves under those in the body that, that 
by their very definition of their character and who they are, we should be placing ourselves underneath them and be willing to learn. And we saw last week that this is not just for, for the leadership. In other words, we don't just say, well, the only person that I'll submit to is the pastor or the elders in the church. The idea is to recognize other godly believers who are more advanced in the faith, those who are, we would say, working in ministry, who are demonstrating themselves, and that we are to follow them. We are to learn from them, as it were. And so we are, we are voluntarily, we're not, we're not being forced to, but we are called to recognize the need to do that so that we can learn from them. And that's part of being a body, that's part of being a church, is to place ourselves under others and to learn from others so that we ultimately can be that example. We can be learned from them so that eventually that others can learn from us and so the church is built. And in order for love to be expressed, in order for the body to function as it should be, this is going to be necessary. And again, we said last time that this takes some of the pride out of it. It takes some of the, of, of trying to put oneself ahead in self-promotion, much like the Corinthians were. And again, if we, we said last week, the Corinthian church, if you were looking at it and you were candidating and you wanted to be a pastor, this is not the church you would pick, right? If they're fighting with the Apostle Paul and they think that, that he's maybe too hard on them and that, he, that his authority doesn't stick and that he's, he's you know, ultimately will, they'll say, well, you know, you're, you're big, in, big in your letters, but you're not very impressive in person. If they're going to fight with him, you certainly don't want to take up the mantle, do you? And so they were self-promoting. They were in sin all over the place, fighting over teachers. And so instead of, instead of placing themselves under each other, they kept on wanting to have their gifts and show their gifts and they wanted preeminence. And Paul says, actually, that won't work for the body. And so, again, the call is, do we place ourselves under others? Are we willing to recognize them and then to, to learn from them in whatever area our gifting is, in every, whatever area of service we have? We, as we noted, the work here, it says all who does such work, it's not just teaching, it's in every area of the church. And then we saw that we were supposed to acknowledge those who worked hard or, or worked as encourage these men were encouragers but they were meant to recognize men of this character and so we saw last week also that we were called to acknowledge and to value those who were in ministry those who were teaching the word those who were were in full-time ministry or or in ministries and to acknowledge them to see their value as a church. And it is only as a church puts a value on the teaching of the word of God and in godly leadership and godly men that ultimately the, that the church will be successful. In other words, if we don't have that, then we have our priorities wrong. And the only way to guarantee that the church will function in love and correctly is to have an acknowledgement of those who spiritually have earned it by their life and by their service. These men had refreshed Paul. They had taken some of the load off of him. 
They had encouraged him. In other words, they, they had brought his spirits up by, by serving with him and being with him. And we, we know what it's like just to gather together. When we gather together, at least I sure hope you do, you go home refreshed. I mean, I love coming here because I feel great when I leave because I've been with other believers who are like-minded, who love the Lord Jesus Christ. And we could almost say to some degree, being, being with other believers is like, is, it's just like being with a baby. A baby doesn't have to do anything. You just enjoy relationship. And oftentimes when we come together as believers, just being together is awesome. At least I think so. <laughs> right? I, I just, it's so, it's so wonderful. Well, that's where we ended up off last week. And so we're just going to keep continuing in the same vein as we go through. We saw those first two things last week. And now this week, we're going to see four more things that are necessary for the functioning of the church and love. These things should be exhibited in the church for it to be healthy and for love to be demonstrated through the church. We're going to have a healthy functioning church. These are some of the things that we need to see and we need to exhibit as believers. And so as we as we look, we're going to see, first of all, that we're going to need hospitality, a love for strangers, we could say. Number two, we'll see we'll have to have affection for one another. Number three, we'll just have to see the centrality of the Lord Jesus Christ for the church. And then really a desire and, and, and a recognition as Paul gives a blessing of the necessity of the grace of God extended in love to one another. So we'll see those four qualities, as we would say, or these four things that are necessary for the functioning of the church. So we begin at verse 19, and it says, The churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house, all the brethren greet you. And so again, we start with these greetings, greetings from, from the church, uh, churches of Achaia, uh, the churches of Asia, I mean, of Aquila and Priscilla, and then all the brethren. And so there is this, there is this greeting, there is this love, we would say, for one another. And so they are greeting, there's an openness, there's a desire to express uh, uh, greetings to one another. And really, this is a kind of, we would say, a hospitality to others. In other words, there was a love for strangers, there was a love for other churches, there was a love for other believers, not just for their own church and their own little area. In other words, they, they looked beyond and they saw those who were of like mind and there was a desire to love them and to, and to greet them and to, and to encourage them. Now we, want, we would understand that as we express hospitality then that, that there's going to be a necessity as we, as we express it to other people and other churches especially other churches, that we're going to be looking at them and we want to make sure that they are of the same mind, of the same doctrine, and of the same function. 
Now you might say, well, why the same function? Because doctrine is, is minimum, right? When we, when, we, when, we, when we start having an expression of love for other believers, we're, we're primarily understand that unity is based upon the truth of doctrine, but you have to actually live that doctrine out. So we're not, we're not interested in just expressing, as it were, love to other churches who have a doctrinal statement that we would agree with. Now, we're not saying they have to tick every box and every, every, every jot and tittle, but we are saying they have to be orthodox, but we also have to have them acting in a way that goes along with their belief statement. And so here are these churches in Asia, and they, and they greet them. Uh, the province of Asia Minor, all the churches sent their love to Corinth. Uh, Achaia, where, where, where Paul is, is another pro- where Corinth is, is another province of the Roman Empire. And we see all through Acts that there is this wonderful love of the church and for one church to another church. And I think to some degree in this day, we've lost that a little bit because we've been segregated and we were into denominations and we're, we're all pulled apart. And we are, we are so busy, busy trying to make sure that we protect ourselves that we get into our ivory towers and we tend to think that we're the only church that there is. And we can have a tendency here at Bowman of a Baptist church to say, we're the only Orthodox church. If you're going to every, any other church, well, you're just, you're not making it, right? This is, this is the standard as if somehow God is only working here. And so we want to make sure that we're not being those who are turning people away and, and not demonstrating God's love to them because we somehow think that they're not fitting into our envelope, We don't want to, to, to put down other people's churches, especially those who are orthodox in their, in their doctrine and who, who actually follow their doctrine in practice. So recognizing, right, a big church doesn't mean it's a good church. In fact, most churches are small. And so we want to make sure that we're measuring people not according to their size or how big or how small, but according to their what? Their doctrine and their practice. And so we should, we should be able to pick up from Bowmanville Baptist Church and move to our next church if God moves us, and we should be able to fit in with them. We should get, have acceptance and we should be accepting, and so should we with those who come here who are of like mind. That's part of hospitality, love between churches, love between strangers. Then he talks about Aquila and Priscilla here. Again, these were laborers of Paul together. Aquila and Priscilla were, came to Rome, were in Rome. Ultimately, they disbanded and scooted off to Corinth when there was persecution. Then they were working in Corinth in their trade. It says that they were tent makers. The idea is there that they worked with leather. They were leather workers. Paul worked with them. He was a leather worker. And so 
he found people of like mind. In the synagogues, they used to sit together, men on one side, women on the other. They used to sit by trade. And so here is Paul with Aquila and Priscilla, his good friends, because they had so much in common. And they stayed together. And so there is this hospitality that was extended. And here is Apollos, Aquila and Priscilla. They are together. They now have opened their home for a church. In fact, many of the early churches were held at homes. They didn't have synagogues. And so there was believers who would open their home. We would understand that if they're opening their home, Generally, if you can put a church in there, that they were fairly well off, that they had a, tr- a house that was big enough. And so here's Aquila and Priscilla with the church that's meeting at their home, and they are now greeting the church in Corinth. And here are people who are with hospitality in their home, and they are bringing people, demonstrating hospitality by allowing the body to come and to meet at their, church, at their home. And that is an emphasis in Scripture that we are to be hospitable. We just read in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, that we are to be hospitable, that we are, we are to love one another. And in fact, if we remember in 1 Timothy chapter 5, when God was calling the church to take care of widows, he didn't just say take care of any widow. He said he set certain parameters, right? He said you have to be of a certain age. You have to have a one that is that the children are raised, who, who put them on the church to serve the church, put them to work. But only the widows that the only ones that can be on there are those who are totally devoted to their husbands while they were alive, widows who have washed the feet of the saints, and widows who have what? Love strangers, hospitality. And that is one of the central things that we are called to do as a church, is to be hospitable to one another. Now, we're we're gonna maybe mess a little bit here As a Christian, your home ought to be wide open for hospitality to believers. As a Christian, your home needs to be open for hospitality. It's not something that is optional, right? It is something that we are called to to do, to be hospitable. And here are the believers here demonstrating that. They're opening their home. They are continuing to have people in. And we are called to do the same. Are Are we those who love other believers, who allow strangers into our home, who come under the name of God? Are we opening our, even our homes to one another? Are we demonstrating hospitality? Or are we just simply closing our home off as if this is a private place that no one gets into? There can be a tendency for us to guard our home and to, you know what, we don't want people in our home. And we can do it for several different reasons. We might say, well, 
if they come, people come into their homes, they're going to see what we're really like, right? We don't want that because they're going to see that actually I, I do snip at the children a little bit. And maybe, maybe my, I'm not the best, I don't keep my house as clean as I thought. And maybe I'm not as rich as everybody else. And so there can be a self-protection there. But we need to be transparent and our homes need to be a haven of rest and friendship for those who need to be there. And so we need to be hospitable. It's interesting. The widows were called to be hospitable. First Timothy says that a man can't be a pastor or a, unless he's what? Hospitable. First Timothy chapter th- 3, verse 2. In other words, one of the callings of a pastor, an elder in the church, is that he what? Give, be given to hospitality. And if they are examples for the flock, then how much more should we? And so we see people in the New Testament and they open their homes for prayer. Acts chapter 12, for fellowship, for communion, for worship, for teaching, for evangelism, for follow-up, for preaching, for discussion. In fact, we could say they were in homes all the time. In fact, Acts chapter 2, they went from house to house, from house to house. So we need to have an openness of our home, an openness of hospitality, a love for believers from afar and near. And so Paul says, here's in this greeting, he says, they greet you heartily in the Lord. There's a a warmness, a, a depth as they greet you in the Lord. And it is only as we greet one another in the Lord that we will actually greet them correctly. And so we are called to be those who exercise hospitality. And so we as a church should be known for exactly that. Are we hospitable? Are we loving to the brethren? Do we love one another? Do we love believers? Are we open? And if we're going to demonstrate God's love, we need to be known for this. So the question is, are we being hospitable? Are we hospitable? Are we those who actually demonstrate love by having people in? Are we loving strangers in the Lord? Are we loving one another? To be a healthy flock, we need to do more than just Sunday morning. It's good to come to Sunday morning. In fact, you're commanded to and you need to be here. But Christian hospitality doesn't stop Sunday morning. It goes through the week. Let us be known for that. Let us be known for for being open and together. So he says the first thing here then is if we're going to have a healthy function is simply that we need to be hospitable. We need to be hospitable. Now the second one is that we need to have 
we need to have affection. Affection. It says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, some of you just got very nervous. What does he mean by greet one another with a holy kiss? Well, under, first of all, we just want to understand, he says it's a holy kiss. So whatever kind of kiss this is, there's some regulations on it because he says it needs to be holy. In other words, it needs to be in line with Christian values and Christian virtue. So this is not indiscriminate kissing. This, the, he says, greet each other with a holy kiss. So what's going on here? Well, scholars have debated what, what is going on here. And some people say, well, in the first century culture, everyone used to greet each other with a kiss. And so there would be the idea of, 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 of kissing on the forehead or on the cheek or on, on the beard. And they said that, well, that, is, that, that was just a universal thing. And so that's what this is called for. Others have studied history and said, well, actually, it doesn't seem like it's as far spread as we thought it was. We, we don't think that everybody was doing this, though it maybe varied by region. And so certain people did it and certain people didn't. But we do know that in Scripture, there are, there are pictures of kissing. And in fact, we're called to kiss each other five times, I think, in Scripture. We're called to do that. The only time that it's not referring to this kind of kissing is in Solomon. But Solomon's got marriage in mind, and he's got romance on mind. But this is not a romantic kiss. But he says, in essence, we are called... The, the idea was, and, and they, was that when they gave a blessing, they would kiss their son on the forehead. There was often greetings in with the Jewish community. Now remember, when they went to the synagogue, the women sat on one side and the men on the other. And we, we may take a vote on that later here. <laughs> but the idea was that the, the, the men would greet the men and the women would greet the women. So this was generally not a, a cross-gender thing. And it was an expression of affection and, a, and actually many times was an expression that was done primarily within families. And so if the Jews did it as an expression within families, we would understand that we are what? The family of God. And so this is, this is a family expression of affection when believers come together. And so when they came together, there would be that either the kiss on the forehead or the cheek. You see, still see it in the Middle East where they, or is it in France? I'm not sure. You know, the little on each side where they don't even touch you, right? But the idea was this was an expression for believers as they came together out of affection for one another. And so Paul says, first of all, he says, you, you are to do this. You are to greet one another. Greet one another. In other words, I greet you, you greet me. Which is reciprocal, which means everyone's responsible for this. Everyone's responsible for this. Which means you don't get to come to church and say, well, I'm shy. Or I'm just not a people person. 
This is not a personality thing here. This is actually what you're called to do as a believer, one to another. Which means that you need to be expressing this affection for your brother, not just him expressing it for you. In other words, it's a two-way street, which means that we are all responsible to do it. Now, some of you are saying, you know what, I'm switching churches because I ain't kissing nobody. (laughs) But we're not actually calling you to kiss one another. The idea here is culturally that was what was expressed affection and family. And he's saying now, whatever is is culturally appropriate for you, express to one another. In other words, this is where we get a handshake. This is where we put our hand on our brother's shoulder this, or our sister's shoulder as sister to sister. In other words, there, there is, a, there's, there's a, a, a way to do this and there's, there's a culturally appropriate way to express our affection to one another. And the reality is that we know that we were created to be in family We were created to be in God's family. We were created to be in relationship. And part of relationship is more than just verbally talking to each other across the room. And so we express affection in a physical way. And we know that people who have physical touch, according to medical studies, though that's not our authority, demonstrate that people do better who have this. And so we are called to come together not, and have a genuine affection and expression to one another that is appropriate. Now some of us, if you're like my brother-in-law, he's a hugger, right? He hugs everything. I have to, hey, that's a tire, get away from that. <laughs> so like, he's just a wonderful fellow, right? For some of us, we're gonna, it's good, we're gonna have to muster up the courage to do a handshake to our brother or our sister. We're gonna, right? But we're called to do it. And a healthy church that's expressing God's love will be all over this. If you express affection at home, and, and you should, and you express affection to your children, then you should be able to express affection to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we're called to do this. It's not an option. And nobody's exempt. Nobody's exempt. Okay, so that that doesn't mean you have to go around hugging everybody. But there's a certain sense where there's going to be those times where you're talking with the brother, you're going to put a shoulder on, a hand on his shoulder, you're going to put an arm around, whatever that is. But we're called to do this. And so a church that is expressing God's love will express affection for one another. Now I know there are those who might come to church and they want to get let's get out of the hugging line, let's get out of the shaking line, let's just, I, let's see if we can get out of here without being touched. God says, actually, you're supposed to be, right? You're supposed to be able to express affection w- for one another. 
And so Christians will always show affections to brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to be a church that is known for loving one another and demonstrating that to one another. So we're called this morning to be hospitable. We're called to be affectionate. And then we're supposed to love Jesus Christ. Christ is central to our fellowship. He says, the greeting is in my own hand, Paul. So Paul has been dictating his letter. Many of them used what we would call today a secretary to dictate to. And so he would dictate and they would write what he said. That doesn't mean that Paul didn't write it. It doesn't mean that it's any less inspired because they wrote what Paul said. And so Paul now is taking up his pen and saying, this greeting is in my hand. And maybe it gives the, the Corinthians an understanding of the authenticity of this letter. He did it in all of his epistles. And it also gives maybe the, this final greeting here, or this final benediction some gravitas, some weight. And so Paul says this, if anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Maranatha. Wow. It's not exactly where you think he would go here, but this is exactly what he says. He says this, you need to love the Lord Jesus Christ to be part of his church. In other words, what is central for the church is to recognize that there is a necessity to love the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, all those who are his will love him. Now, here's the twist here. This word is not the word agape. This is the word phileo. In other words, he's, he's kind of upping the ante just a little bit because he says this isn't just where you will yourself to do what's right and you hang on by the fingertips and try to get it done. He says all of those who do not have a, an affection for the Lord Jesus Christ are to be accursed. In other words, it is not just enough in other words, the idea is this. Those who are truly the Lord Jesus Christ will ultimately demonstrate that they have a, an affection for the Lord Jesus Christ. There will be a, a, a feeling of love for him. It's not just that they are willing themselves, but a love. And it's interesting. Do you remember when Peter had betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord came to restore him. And, and he goes, do you love me? Do you agape me? And finally, and, and Peter says, you know I do. And finally he gets to the end and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I phileo you. You know I have affection for you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And he restores them. And so he says, there must be an affection for the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be a church who just doesn't know about the Lord Jesus Christ. But a church 
who loves the Lord Jesus Christ and our affections are for him. We need to be pursuing not just knowledge about the Lord Jesus Christ, but an intimate personal relationship that leaves us with an affection for him. And so we need to have an affection for him. And then he says this, they're to be accursed. What does he mean by that? What does he mean by that? I think what he means is simply this. Every single person who does not have the affection for the Lord Jesus Christ is an unbeliever. And they stand at this moment under the wrath and the judgment of God. Some have suggested that he's referring to those within the church who are causing trouble to recognize that they are under the wrath of God. They need to repent. But Paul makes it clear that anyone who doesn't have an affection, affectionate love for the Lord Jesus Christ, is actually not a believer. He's not just a lukewarm believer. He's actually an unbeliever. Yeah, that should strike fear in our hearts. It should. Do we love the Lord Jesus Christ? Is there an affection in our heart that continually draws us to him? Do we find him desirable? Do we obey him? So he says they are cursed. They are cursed. Paul has called on before on those who disobey those who do not follow to be accursed and here he says it again then he says maranatha maranatha now there's been debate over what this word means i think simply it means that the lord comes or the lord is to come the lord come or come lord jesus It's kind of a striking contrast to his curse. And at first you might say, well, how does that draw together? How can we say, if you don't love the Lord, be a curse, and then Maranatha, the Lord, come. But I think that's the cry of every believer's heart. Those who love him have an affection for him, and if there's an affection for them, what are they looking forward to? To his coming. They're looking forward to his coming. And that is the mark of a believer that they look forward to his coming. That they are wanting him to come back. And so he says, listen, one of the central things to our fellowship needs to be an affection for the Lord, an affection that looks forward to his coming. In other words, we want to be, have an affectionate for him. We want to be obedient to him. 
and that will also be expressed in our desire for him to return. Now I know that we have lived in a time and in a place where often it has been hard to imagine Christ coming back because it's been pretty good, right? We have a roof over our head. We have three squares in our frying pan, as the the country song says. We've got food. We've got comfort. We've got no persecution. Life is good. Yet if our hearts are truly affectionate, we will recognize that we are aliens here on earth and we are passing through and we will have a holy dissatisfaction and desire to be with our Lord Jesus Christ rather than here. And we need to be a church that is marked by this desire, a love of the Lord Jesus Christ and recognizing that our church, now listen to this, our church is to be made up of people who have this desire. In other words, there is no fellowship with those who do not love the Lord Jesus Christ. And you could almost say this is the the line that we draw in the church. The church is for those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is not a place for those who ultimately don't love him. Now, it's not that they can't attend, but the reality is that they need to repent and they need to come to ask God to give them the, the ability to repent and the desire to repent and to open their eyes so that they might see the glories of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he might fan their love for him and that they might have an affection that causes them to follow after and be obedient to him. And so as we gather, we must recognize that Jesus is central. That he is the one that we are to love. We must be marked by a love and a desire to see our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Paul has given us three marks here already. We need to be those who are hospitable those who are affectionate, those who are centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. And now as he, he, as he gives his final greeting, as he gives his final blessing, we're going to see a call to recognize our need for the grace of God. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul recognizes as he, as he closes this letter that, he, that the church, the only way the church is going to function in love and to do the things that it is necessary for that to do is for them to have the grace of God upon them. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. In other words, this, you were saved by grace. God put his grace upon you. He regenerated it and made you new. But his grace did not leave you at that point. His grace is now with you in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that has been sent to teach you about him. 
And now he is the one who gives us all the spiritual resources that we need in order to live a godly life and to live a life that is pleasing to him and to live in obedience to him and to do the things that are necessary to be pleasing to him. And there can be a tendency for us as a church to get, get all, all hyped up in our programs or hyped up in, in and we've got, we've got the word of God and we've got the teaching and all of that and to recognize that none of that will make a bit of difference unless the grace of God is working in our lives. And so we need the grace of God to be continually re- upholding us, teaching us, and strengthening us allowing us to be obedient to him. And if we don't have the grace of the Lord Jesus with us, then we're just playing house. We're just playing church. And none of this will ever take place. We won't grow spiritually. The church won't be able to serve God in the way in its function as it should unless the grace of God is upon us. So we are kept by God's grace, strengthened by his grace, sanctified by his grace, enabled by his grace. We are constantly dependent on forgiveness, comfort, peace, joy, boldness, instruction that comes through God's grace. And so we are dependent upon that. Comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who gives us that grace through the Holy Spirit that we might live in obedience to him. And so whatever we do as a church, we must never think that somehow we've arrived. Somehow that we've figured it out. Somehow by the might of our power, by the things that we do, by the things that we run, that somehow the church will will grow and be what it should be. We must continually recognize our dependence on the grace of God. We are nothing without him. Let us continue to remember that we are nothing and to go back to the source, our Lord Jesus Christ, that we might be empowered by him and strengthened. Paul ends this letter, my love be with you all in Christ. And maybe we could really say this is that, that, that the, 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 the height of the epistle or the ending of the epistles, he wraps it up and he says, my love is with you, Corinth. I have said a lot of hard things to you. I've challenged you for your childlikeness when you guys were fighting over teachers. I've rebuked you for the way that you've done the Lord's Supper. I've rebuked you for allowing sin in the church that even the heathen wouldn't. I've corrected you, I've corrected you, I've corrected you. But I want you to know, Corinth, that I I agape you, I love you, and I will do what is best for you regardless of how you treat me, regardless that you have rejected my authority, regardless that you have argued with me. And he says, I love you what? in Christ. I love you in Christ. You may have misbehaved, you may be you may be immature. 
but I love you in the Lord Jesus Christ. I love you because you're beloved. I love you because you're his. I love you by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I couldn't love you any other way. And it's almost like Paul is, is at the very end of this letter making sure that the Corinthians know that his instructions and what he's called them to do isn't his idea, isn't done out of malice, but it is done out of his love first for the Lord Jesus Christ and secondly for them. And so he says, my, my love is with you. My love be with you all, each and every one of you. I call to let you know that I love you and what I have done called you to do is in love. And really the only way Paul could love the Corinthian church is if the grace of God was working through him. They weren't particularly lovable or easy to deal with. And yet Paul was able to do that because of the grace of God and his love in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we're going to be a church who demonstrates God's love, it will only be done if we are those who are continually in the grace of God. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your word. And we pray that you would make Bowmanville Baptist Church a church that demonstrates your love. A church that functions in a way that is pleasing to you. And that we would be known by the things that you have described in your word as those who are hospitable, who are affectionate, who are Christ-centered in our love and who are dependent on the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Build your church here, I pray. May you be pleased and make us a fit bride for your son, I pray, to the praise of the glory of your grace. Amen.